Thanks for listening to the Roman Circus Podcast, a weekly dive into death-defying discussions of Catholic culture, tradition, and history. I'm Matt Baker, and joining me, as always, is the one and only Zach Mabry. Zach, what's going on? Not too much, you know. We're uh, I'm wading into the deep waters of tax season since my day job is that I'm an accountant. So mm. that's been exciting over the last week. So excited for a change of pace to talk about something other than, you know, financial year ends and marginal tax rates. Well, unfortunately, that's what this episode is about. So you're just kind of oh, to... leaving. <laughs> yeah, just kidding. Tweet us at Roman Circus Pod. I'm at Hey, it's Matt Baker. Zach's at Zach Mabry, Z-A-C Mabry. You can email us podcast at romancircusblog.com. Find us on iTunes where you can rate and review us if you want. You can also find us on Podbean, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and Google Play. We are officially a podcast, Zach. Yeah, I, I, I don't know what you do between these episodes other than post the episode in all these different places. But um, thank you for all the time and work you put into that and making it to where I can just kind of uh, show up and, and ramble for a bit. Well, you have a real job, so you have to do that. I, on the other hand, just analyze the cryptocurrency markets and pray that Bitcoin doesn't collapse. So there you have it. Better pray hard. <laughs> yeah. One question I have is, uh, or I've, I've, I've received some, a, a real person totally asked me this, mm -hmm. totally really in real life asked, why is the, the email address RomanCircusBlog.com. That's a good question, Zach. Do you have an answer for them? Um, well, I was very surprised that, that a real-life, totally real person in, in life asked me that question. Sure. But I told them, Jackson, we will <laughs> we'll be announcing at some future date a blog. Well, technically you just announced it right now, so... Well, it was... Uh, Perhaps Thursday when he actually it was a it was a girl Jackson when yeah. when she asked about it. Um, so yeah, so I thought we could make mention of our eventually upcoming blog that will exist, which will be like the podcast, but uh, it will be written. Okay, so didn't have anything, so nothing came to me to say how it would be like the podcast. So that we're just gonna. You may just cut this out and it'll be fine. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, we wanted to leave our options open by potentially having a blog. I mean, having one, but also potentially having one. But yeah. yeah, so we'll talk more about that when it becomes an actual thing. Zach, what do you think of uh, President Oprah? May she live forever. Oh, well, you know, long live President Oprah. May she live forever. Um, may she, yes, may she live forever. I so I, I like I said it's tax season so I've been kind of out of the loop. Mm -hmm. I did hear that the Golden Globes happened, and I guess a lot of the the biggest celebrities wore black to mourn their friends who couldn't be there because they are rape monsters. <laughs> um, so that was a uh, you know particularly <laughs> so sad for, for those other celebrities. Yeah. Um, and then uh, a lot of people have been posting the Oprah speech. I haven't brought myself to watch it, but I, I will say. I have a hard time disliking Oprah, I'll be honest. Like, she's just... Sure. She's Oprah. Like, and that's... That's why I don't think she'd ever run for president. Because she... I think she would look at the country and say, well, I'm I'm your Oprah. I'm not your president or whatever. I'm I'm the country's Oprah. May she live forever. Know. What do you think? Well, yes, may she live forever. What do you think? Uh, it all sounds good in theory, but she has way too much going for her to run for president. Like, it's not a thing you do if you have a lot going for you. Does that make sense? I mean, unless you're our current president who seemed to have stuff going for him. But yeah, I, I think you only run if you just have a one-track mind and that's all you want to do. If you have a lot of things going for you, why, why on earth would you want to do that ever? Right. Well, and, you know, it was actually, it's, you know, sort of the brilliant, it's called the quote-unquote um, Barnhart, Barnhart axiom, which is the fact that a given person is holding or seeking high-level public office is proof in and of itself that said person is either morally or psychologically unfit. 
to hold high level public office. Yeah, so, exactly. And to me, Oprah seems sound. So I, I don't think she would do it. May she live forever. May, yes. I'm, yes. I'm sorry. Thank you. May she live forever. <laughs> All right. But it'd be kind of fun. Like, and you get a car and everyone gets a car. I don't know. Oh yeah. No, that would be great. But anyway, this week, what we're going to do is break down a column online that Zach sent me from fairforward.com. We'll link to it many a times in tweets and on the show notes, but it's an article by Brandon McGinley called Detachment Parenting. And Zach, since you sent it to me, why don't you give us a quick breakdown of why you sent it to me and why you found this interesting to talk about? Well, right off the bat, as a disclaimer, it's called detachment parenting, but it's not that's not in reference to the practice of attachment parenting. Right. It's not it's not talking about that. So it's not because that was when I first saw the title. I was like, ooh, it's going to be a lot of my friends, um, you know, are proponents of that. And so it wasn't talking about that at all. Right. Um, It was it was talking about this sort of warped way that that we view success and how, you know, parents view raising their children sort of that the goal is that they become as rich as possible or they get just the best job possible. Right. Um, that in purely material ways that people, you know, that that's what they want is this sort of natural beatitude, if you will, of making lots and lots of money. And, you know, he, he talks through about, the way that that impacts the child's ability to learn the faith and the way that it, that it impacts our culture's embrace of, of the faith. Because, um, you know, when you're only searching for, for more material success, it becomes easy to say, well, I have to, I have to skip mass because, you know, I have a soccer game or. Well, that's how it starts out. That's the, so the column basically begins uh, by him telling us, how he fell out of the faith early on with his family and then also how he came back into the church. So it basically starts off with him conceding that he just stopped going to mass because there were just tons of excuses and he kept making excuses and making concessions. And before you know it, he was going twice a year. Right. Well, that's, you know, once you say it's okay if I miss mass for this reason, he sort of, talks about how gradually that transforms into you you only go if there's some you know serious reason that you want to go or you're just completely wide open your calendar is and you can make it so you know it just kind of the bar gets lower and lower for what you would skip mass for and so yeah i thought that was uh that he brought that up and he you know he did talk about how he doesn't blame his parents for that and a lot of it was just you know societal and everyone was sort of falling into that sure but he, he, he found it was interesting that he talked about how they basically any excuse came became an excuse to miss mass, which is funny because the Catholic Church pretty much has a mass every hour on the hour from 4 p.m. on Saturday night up until about 9 p.m. on Sunday. So you, you have to pretty much be occupied for about 30 straight hours in order to miss mass. But that's a, that's just an aside. Right. I mean, there's obviously lots of different options. You can go to different parishes and it's also just, you know, one hour a week, you know, not to discount the sacrifice that people make to get to mass, but for most of us, it's completely feasible and it's, it's much easier than grocery shopping or or running any other, you know, errand that we're going to run. Right. And it really Um, is, Missing mass is kind of the gateway drug of a sort of slipping in the faith. You can once you once you start with that, it's pretty much all downhill from there. Like in theory, you could have a less than adequate prayer life, and you may not be reading, and you might not be doing much. But if you keep going to mass, then that's something you're sticking with that that will kind of propel you forward in the faith. Right. And, you know, we talked about that when we did the uh, the 12 Days of Christmas episode about the precepts to the church where, you know, the church kind of lines out these are the sort of understood bare minimums. Mm-hmm. And 
one of those things that those do is they're really good as a, a you know a, a self checkup. You can see okay, well if you're you know missing mass or if you're strongly not wanting to go to mass, that can start to be a good indicator that you want to shake things up and you know just kind of look around and see you know, what what is that telling you? What mm-hmm. can you learn from that so that you can you know get back to fulfilling your uh, Catholic duties and. I kind of like that. I mean, I'm, if there wasn't that, I mean, it'd probably be after you were involved in a, dr- a drive-by, then you realize, oh, I think I'm really starting to suffer my faith. So yeah. it's something, you know, that's, that's you know, immediately recognizable. Every week you get that indicator. So, yeah, I like that. And I also, I just like how simple that is. A lot of times, I think, especially when I was coming into the church, the, the concept of a Sunday obligation was sort of strange to me. But the more I thought about it, the more I'm like, you know, this is just, you can totally grasp it and you just go literally, you just go to mass every single week. And that's what you do. Mm-hmm. And everybody can, can handle that. Like if they're not some brilliant theologian or, you know, they're not somebody that can focus on, you know, three hours of silent meditation, whatever. Yeah. They can get to mass and they can understand that, you know, this is a line that you can see. And, you know, right. stick with it. And that can help, you know, it can just help bring structure to their life supernaturally. But, I mean, even naturally, it can kind of give some uh, some order right. to and their, their week. The good news about that is you don't have to enjoy every Mass you go to. There will be Masses you obviously struggle to get to or struggle to sit through or struggle to be there. Maybe something you, quote-unquote, don't get anything out of it. But just by the fact that you're there is good. So that's a good thing to stick with. Even just don't get discouraged if you go there one Sunday and you just totally don't want to be there. But anyway, I digress. This article, he talks about a little politics and he kind of gives it to both sides, just talking about how as he has become a father, he's found that, the quote is, I've found that considering their futures has only confirmed my interest in abandoning mainstream political thinking. The popular expectation, of course, is that fatherhood reorients men away from the abstract and toward the the concrete, which I thought was pretty interesting. The, it, like you said earlier, when you when you have kids, immediately you start thinking, I want them to get the best job. I want them to go to the best school. I want them to do this. I want them to do this. And abstract thinking in in parenting is kind of looked down on because I think it gets a bad connotation with some kind of free spirits or like you know I'm gonna I'm gonna let my kid kind of find their own way, right? Because you will see that you know oh we don't ever tell we don't ever tell him no, you know we and it's <laughs> like well he is gonna need to learn how to be told no right. who's gonna teach him that well I mean. Okay, he'll be mad for a few seconds, but you're telling him no over a, a carrot stick that he can't eat. I mean, what's there? It's not going to hate you. Mm-hmm. Um, you know that that's that kind of stuff. Yeah, I agree that that kind of gives people a bad taste because they think about you know these weird experimental parenting things that you know you just some of it's funny, but then it's kind of sad too. Right. Um, but yeah, and I do agree though that it does shift. You know, I don't have children, and so I just don't have the same set of concerns every every minute of every day about another life that's that's just totally dependent on me. And my friends that have, I've seen it, I've seen it change them in in subtle ways. And I I can you know just you know things that that we'll talk about, I realize oh you know this is totally dorky to them now like, <laughs> because they have these like real lives that I'm bringing up these things. And it, I kind of like, I mean, it's actually good, I think for me to experience that from them talking about, you know, their perspective on things and kind of learning from it. It's interesting mm-hmm. the the shift that happens. And I've, I've seen a lot of people having babies lately. So it's exciting. Mm-hmm. He says the next thing is now it would be foolish to claim that fatherhood changes nothing about how a man view, views the world. So I'm not going to go here and read this quote for quote, obviously, but it, this whole shift of what he finds important is really interesting because he does claim that 
fatherhood actually has radicalized him more than moderated him. And he's talking about that in terms of actually the spiritual and the spiritual life and basically prepping his kids for salvation rather than material goods. Right, because you kind of you use that the phrase. To be honest, I kind of hate that phrase, but not picking on you. But the both sides phrase that people will say that he kind of you know gives it to both sides. Yeah. Realistically, but if we were to say, okay, yeah, we've got like the American left and American right, you you do see that it's all it's all very material, and it doesn't it doesn't think about you know questions of of the soul or you know the fact that you know, we live for all eternity. So you kind of want to think about things from the standpoint of, of, of that, of heaven. Everything else does seem kind of short-sighted. I mean, you know, it's one thing to, you know, you think about someone who's like, oh, I'm not going to, I'm not putting away any money for for retirement. You know, I'm not going to save anything. You think right. that that's short-sighted. Well, retirement is, you know, what, 20 years of your life? Uh, eternity is is not measured in years. I mean, it's, it's it, not. It is, in fact, eternity, Zach. Right. I mean, that's you know, I would be making weekly contributions to your your heavenly four hundred one k before. That's real dorky. I'm glad that we do this on audio and not in writing, so that that can't be quoted anywhere. But yeah. um, you know, I mean, you have to think about it that way. And I would say that in this day and age, that is sort of radical to say, well. You know, I will I will give this thing up. Uh, you know, I'm not going to pursue you know this worldly good. And most of this stuff is good, right? Um, but because I want to I want to focus on making sure that I get into heaven and making sure that my children get into heaven. Um, that would I mean that is kind of radical, even though I mean it it shouldn't be. Well, it's but. I think it comes with the overall kind of misunderstanding of how we're supposed to look at things like that. The idea of putting too much into material goods is bad only when they become all you're focused on. Like, you know, wealth isn't a bad thing. Having material isn't necessarily a bad thing, right? It's what all about what you do with it. Like if you have if you have wealth, that just means you're more responsible for the distribution of wealth or the, you know, you, you could have wealth because you have a company and that means you're responsible for those under you. So it, it just changes the responsibility. It doesn't necessarily change the goodness or the badness. The goodness or badness comes with, with what you're doing with it. Right. Right. And so then when, when you're saying that when you have wealth, it means that you are more responsible for things you're saying having the wealth presuppose the wealth that leads to you have all of these responsibilities now to um be a good steward of what you've already been given Mm -hmm. it's not the other way around just in case anyone it's not that because you're so responsible you got super wealthy uh, that you know isn't how but it's once you have the wealth yeah you i mean you're responsible yes you suddenly had a million more dollars to use uh, to glorify God than than everybody else did. But I, it's not that you got it as a reward from God. Like, you were being really good, Matt Baker. You're going to get rich. And I know you weren't saying that, but right. I just thought that's rampant. And so I just thought I'd make sure that's clear. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. You're not. It's not prosperity stuff. It's not saying you prayed harder so you got more money. It's just saying that basically your salvation isn't tied into what you have or what your state is. But what your state is makes you more responsible for things that can directly affect your salvation. Does that make sense? Yes. So I heard a priest once say that if you're a multimillionaire, you have a responsibility kind of to live within your means, which means that you can have the expensive car or you can have the expensive house. But that just means that you better be on your game when it comes to making sure that people follow your footsteps correctly. Like if you're if you have a bunch of wealth and you have a bunch of material and you have all this stuff, it's okay. But if that's leading you or others into sin, then obviously that's bad. Whereas someone who has nothing can be leading people to heaven essentially and be doing much better than those with the the multi millions of dollars. Right. I mean, 
people who have nothing and do great things are just sort of inherently more inspiring, at least to me, than people mm-hmm. who were able to you know, pay a, a league of people to orchestrate everything. Or, but, yeah, or I mean, Zach, having wealth is not bad. Or I was going to say, or you can be a young African American woman from Chicago who finds her own way into a television show and then a media empire, thus becoming our president. Yes, the backstory of of President. Will they call her President Winfrey? That just seems it's op- it's President no. Oprah, right? Right, like her, but her name is Oprah. She's our Oprah. Um, okay, yeah, that's true. Uh, but yeah, that there's a there'll be this weird mentality people get into that you can't have any you can't have any wealth or you shouldn't have wealth and it's it's really that's not true and I mean it's also not virtuous to have a bunch of wealth but but just decide to be super stingy you know it, everything's supposed to be proportional so you know you should you have the house that's proportional to your state in life you know, which is within reason. It's moderated by all these different virtues mm-hmm. so that it's not, you know, not too big and not too small and not too opulent. And, but you know, it, there's nothing virtuous about hoarding all of your money and, um, you know, living just way outside of your state in life. That's you know above or below hoarders and spenders get put in the same section of hell in Dante's Inferno, right? Like, I mean, in his, sort of, you know, I mean, it's, it's a poem, but it's, yeah. you know, it's artistic. And I think that's what, how that works. But yeah, I mean, hoarding is not virtuous in that, I mean, it's list, it's considered a, a type of greed. Sure. And a lot of times when people, you know, are criticizing someone for having a house, it's, it's kind of saying they should just, I guess, save that money. And that's right. where it's like, well, again, it's all got to be moderated by different virtues. And it's it's never going to be it's always going to be kind of in the means. Virtue, virtue lies in the means, Zach. That's what that's yes. where they say that it lies. But well, yeah, virtue it, lies along the mean of two vices. Yeah. Right. The vice of too much and the vice of too little. Yeah. Yeah. So the, but the, I like that is that he's not he's saying that the wealth isn't the end isn't what we're chasing after, you know, we, you, if you have things and if you work hard and if, if you, if you end up with nothing or you end up with something, you know, it's, it's mostly important how you conduct yourself and how you work with what you, you do have, but not how you work with it as in, you know, I started, you know, a, an ice cream stand with some money and then I became Mr. Ben and Jerry's. It, it means like supernaturally, like how did you use those things to, you know, glorify God or make the world, um, you know, more virtuous or a mm-hmm. better place. Right. Cause sometimes it, it'll still warp to, it doesn't matter if you're wealthy, you can become wealthy. And it's like, no, that isn't, it's still not about being wealthy. Now, remember we had this reading, there's a reading a few weeks ago. It's the reading about the servants with the talents where, you know, one gets five and then goes out and makes another five. And then one gets two and makes another two and the servant who gets one goes and buries it. So even then, you, from a biblical standpoint, you can have more and make more to use more, but if you have less and don't use that at all, that's no good either. There's no, there's no virtue in having less. It's all about what you do with it. Right, just of itself. I mean, it, it, that's the thing. Is it's, it's not about how much you have. And yeah. it, 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 even the sort of American version of it, uh, it's, you know, it starts with, you know, it's, it's always rags to riches mm-hmm. and it's like, uh, yeah, but it's again, I mean, that's, a, that's always very inspiring, but it, the goal is not always riches. It just, at least not, you know, earthly riches. And the thing about, about heaven is that we, you know, we can't build a ladder and climb there. We can't build a cannon and shoot ourselves there. We can't build a rocket and fly there. I mean, Mm -hmm. there's the only, again, it it all comes down to, you know, having sanctifying grace in your soul, which is not something that costs money and it can't be bought. So, you know, that's the thing, you know, having your children baptized, you know, that's, that's, you know, one of the most loving things that you can do right away. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you don't have time to wait for the best photo op, 
you know, that's okay. Have, have a party a month later when all the family can be there. But, you know, right. I mean, you don't want to delay baptism over, over, you know, convenience. Sure. And, but you know, the culture tells you to do that. So it's, it's, that's not to pick on, on anybody. Um, it's just you know, these habits, it, it builds kind of what he's saying of, Oh, well, I didn't go to mass because soccer game, we didn't, I didn't get baptized. So I was one because, um, you know, people, you know, flights were hard to book for everybody so that everyone could be there. It, it, it teaches people implicitly that, you know, none of this matters and, you know, focus on your real job, which is getting super wealthy or, you know, being the best at, you know, piano or your sport or whatever. Um, right. It doesn't really lead to anything. And you, you hear people make these critiques about why, you know, people aren't just pouring into all the churches and they, they, it's like they fail to mention that, you know, going back to the beginning of the last century, this stuff started. I mean, by the 50s, this, you know, endless quest for infinite material gain was, was fully functional. Have Most you, people were still, what was that? Sorry to interrupt. What, keep going? Well, I mean, most people were still going, you know, the Catholics were still going to Mass on Sunday for the most part. But mm-hmm. that hour was, that was what, that was all they had to spare. And, you know, I mean, that's what we've got to be working to change. That's why I like this article is it didn't say, you know, here's some hot button issue. And this is why, you know, if my stance on this hot button issue had been taken, the church would just be full and we'd have, you know, thousands of nuns in every street. I mean, a lot of it is sure. the sort of very boring fact of going to mass, even if you have a soccer game. Right. Have you, have you read Ross Duthat's bad religion book? No, I'm sure it's not that bad. Yeah, no, it's, uh, it, it's a good sorry. joke, Zach. It, uh, it's one of my favorite books I've read over the past two years. And it, it's basically kind of what you just talked about looking at things from the turn of the 1900s into the mid 1900s and where everything just kind of went up in smoke and got crazy it uh so yeah that we can talk about that another time but that kind of fits in with that whole thing yeah because it's always you'll you'll run into people and i mean they mean well and i understand it but they they're basically saying you know we should go back to the 50s and the thing is is that the 50s gave us the 60s so we should not go back to the 50s, shouldn't we? I mean, didn't we see what happened the last time we had the 50s? Um, you know, and that's twisted in all sorts of ways. And so I'm not endorsing any of the the things people say as far as the, you know, all of this, the, the you know, all these changes were because it was right. needed or wanted or anything. But, I mean, clearly the context was, the ground was laid for, for what sort of happened in our culture sure. way before it actually, you know, happened. So, so part of, I think part of what you're saying is good because it gets in with this, this column is we actually, we can look back on all this, but we can't do anything to change that. What we can do is look towards the future and we can look to see how we act from here on out. Right. So, Part of this article, I'm going to read a little more. He says, So when I think about my children's future, I can't be made to care very much whether the economic and political situation will be conducive to their material thriving. I say this, first of all, because there is next to nothing meaningful I can do to arrange the future of political economy, but more importantly because, in the order of salvation, their worldly success is really quite low on my list of responsibilities. Which is pretty pretty crazy to hear, because normally you would think that a father would be all about the worldly success. And his point is, it's the attachment to the worldly success that actually erodes the the deposit of faith in the formative years is what he goes on to say, mm-hmm. which is yeah. kind of shocking and kind of blunt to hear, but it makes sense because if you're always chasing the soccer games, which soccer games are great, or you're always chasing the parties, which parties are fine. But he, one of the excuses he said he would have parties and then cleanup would get in the way and then they wouldn't go to mass. So if you're always chasing these things and always chasing 
to please these things, the faith will just slowly erode until it completely evaporates. Right. Yes, I had the same feeling when I was reading it. I thought, well, this sounds kind of shocking. And then as you think about it, you know, it, it should go without saying, but sometimes I have to remind myself, you know, if, if in this story, this hypothetical father and his son, if they make it to heaven and they're in heaven together, um, he's not going to say, you know, son, if only you had been a doctor. <laughs> yeah. Like it's, it, yeah. So, you know, there's a certain point where we have to see the importance of doing good throughout our lives, but we also have to see that that will end and yeah like you said you can't control it i mean we don't think about you know the people in russia you know a few decades before mm-hmm. the bolshevik revolution I, I imagine that they were you know saving and investing and, and building up trust funds and endowments for their children and you know what happened to all that what um, happened zach well you know here's how it works <laughs> no i mean well we will we could do a currency manipulation episode if you want but i i think we'd lose both of our listeners. So, yeah. um, well, so it's not to keeping say... Keeping your eyes on heaven, I guess, is the, the idea. Right, and it's not to say if the Super Bowl is on and you normally go to 530 Mass that you should stick with it and miss the Super Bowl. You can just go to Mass at a different time. The idea is not to be so stuck that you're not reaching out, right? It's to know where the pitfalls are and to know where you can slowly erode your faith. Yeah. But for, for me personally, I've noticed that when I start that whole, okay, going to, and and if I start going to different masses on what I want to do that weekend over time, and I don't, even within the context of going, it's, I don't know that I would say just, you know, casually change your, yeah. your plans for mass for other things. But in the same sense, every mass is mass and, um, you know, going is good, you know, just go in the morning. You won't miss anything. Right. Everyone is, is sleeping off, you know, a hangover while you're at mass. So you're, you're not missing you're out. Not missing out. Um, and, you know, historically mass would, you know, had to start by noon. And so, right. um, you know, you're also kind of, you know, arm in arm with hundreds of years of your fellow Catholics by mm-hmm. waking up early and going. Now I say that as, as someone with like perfect attendance at five o'clock mass. So, um, you know, <laughs> well, I think that's a great thing to do. I, yeah. I'm a big fan of those later masses. So. Well, yeah. And I, the church I go to currently, the option is 7 PM because we're kind of in the middle of churches at the moment. So, yeah, you're talking to a you're talking to a 7 p.m. or on Sunday night, which can get a get a really pretty hard to wait around for. So right, and that's that's 7 p.m. California, which is five, which is 9 p.m. in America. So yes, that's that's rough. Um, yeah, no, right, it, and you know that's the thing. <laughs> I mean, obviously you can dodge, and um, it you know I haven't come across any saints who have done this, so it's not something I really. Do, but you could go on Saturday if you want. That's allowed. Right. Um, but uh, so your options are there. And it's not that, yeah, it's not that you can't attend something, you know, important and fun and, you know, energizing. Yeah, but if your, op- your options are skipping or going at a different time, you obviously go at a different time. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And if there's only one option, um, well, well, I guess there's only one option. I mean, you know, it, mm-hmm. you'll you'll see the value of of whatever it is that you blew off, so that you could go to mass if there was only the one mass you could get to um, on the other side. And right. you'll, I think it'll be something that you're that that really makes you very happy. I think that is sort of something that to me, when I've seen people who have sacrificed a lot, like they drive a long way or they get up super early because you know they live out in the boonies, they're there's just like a a sense of, you know, they're just so happy to be there. And sure. so for those of us that have, you know, mass every hour, we can just pop in whenever we want. Maybe not as, uh, not, you know, not that aspect to it. We're just kind of rolling up. So Fine, Zach. You make me take back everything I said about flopping masses around. Just watch, don't just do watch it. the Super Bowl. Well, don't do it. Just don't do it willy-nilly. You, I mean, right. you, you know, decide to do it, but have a time that's kind of your normal time and then, you know, 
if there's something fun, say I'm going to go to mass and then do this fun thing. And, you know, of course the church affords us that, that privilege. Right. My fatherly duty isn't to get my children into good colleges or to prepare them for the modern economy, but to get them into heaven. There's a quote he has. I'll read it. It's my favorite quote. And again, it sounds kind of extreme, but I would rather see them, his children, poor and powerless than successful and damned, and they should never for a moment think otherwise. Let that let that hit your brain and rattle around for a little bit, Zach. I know. It's like, I mean, I get it. I just, I, I imagine that that's got to be so hard for a parent to truly, because while they're, if they're poor and whatnot, you're watching them you know, suffer if you will. And it's, you know, the natural law, a parent will want, you know, what's, what's best for their child and the things that they can actually physically see are going to be the most top of mind naturally. Right. And it's so counter culture to, to want your kids, not want, but prefer them to be poor and powerless than something else. Because nowadays we're all about power, and power is a big thing, and power is a thing that a lot of people are fighting over, and and obviously with good reason in some cases. But at the same time, if that power is going to lead you to a life that's damned, you probably want to give that power up. Uh, well, right. I mean, you're definitely just like I said before about the you know you're not going to heaven, so you're not going to be. You are not going to be in hell, you know, selling copies of your bestseller. So mm-hmm. no, it's, you know, that's a thing. But the other thing is we're made, you know, God made us to to spend all of eternity with him um, eventually. Now, obviously, people will choose not to do that. And, you know, there's, we, you know, theologians can do a better job going through all that part. But, you know, we are made for that. And so whatever mm-hmm. the path is that that results in you you know, not being damned, if you will, that's going to be the the better slash best path. Mm-hmm. You're not, I mean, you know, God is not going to trick you by making it to where the only way that you can avoid just complete earthly misery is to go down a path where you end up, you know, damned for all eternity. Right. And so, again, everything in you is going to be pointing towards the path that you need to be on, um, you know, gradually though. But, you know, as we're, especially with like the technology and the constant stimulation from different, you know, devices and sounds and things, it is hard to let go of some of those attachments. And mm-hmm. so at first, yeah, it may feel weird, but, but ultimately, I mean, you, you don't, you don't see a lot of sad saints who are like, this better work because I'm miserable. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Right. And again, it's, it can sound like such an anti-success thing, but it's not anti-success. It's properly ordered success with a supernatural end, basically. So it, you can read this in a way that makes it sound like you should just shut yourself in a room and not actually look to achieve anything. You can look to achieve things. Achievements are perfectly fine they're they're gifts and they're things that can help sustain us but right and i mean you know being virtuous will will for many people they'll make decisions that are are just naturally more in line with success You you meet people who are super prudent a lot of them don't gamble away all their their money because they're super prudent you know i mean it's not a superstitious prosperity gospel thing but you know i mean sobriety comes with a lot of rewards you know moderation with food comes with a lot of i mean none of those are the reason you do these things but as you grow in virtue uh, there are a lot of things will start to become easier in a sense Mm -hmm. and the things that are hard you have you know all this this true strength you know from from having virtue to confront them Mm -hmm. and so you know, again, I mean, you can never confuse that with prosperity gospel. And a lot of just the most virtuous, holiest people, you know, were given a lot to deal with in this life. And that's sort of 
you know, Father Ripperger's saying that when God starts to like you, he starts to smack you around a bit. Oh, so, sure. You know, that, so it's, again, yeah, none of it's that. It's not, oh, if you, if you just say a few prayers, you're going to be rich and you're going to be happy and you're going to be attractive and all this stuff. I mean, but yeah, I mean, virtue is its own reward. And a lot of times that plays out on a natural level. So I forget, maybe you can fill in the blank. I forget the saint, but she was upset because she wasn't being tested and she thought God had stopped loving her because she wasn't being tested. Not because she wasn't getting what she wanted. Well, I guess she wasn't getting what she wanted because she wanted to be tested, but she wasn't getting the, the riches and the glory she was upset that she wasn't being tested so she could try and overcome it for the glory of God. Have you heard that? Um, yeah. I was it, was it little Therese? I think it was St. Therese. Yeah. Cause I, I want to say that she talked about, you know, that, that the, the sins that she never fell into, it was, it was because God knew that she wasn't strong enough to, to, to get out or something. But right. she, she had just this very interesting way of looking at, her own life, which I mean, she was just, you know, she was pretty holy early on the stories about her. I mean, I think she had, you know, some attachments and like, Mm -hmm. you know, some pride as far as, you know, curiosity and stuff. But I mean, you just don't really hear about, she didn't have like this very colorful past, um, St. Augustine. So yeah, Mm -hmm. I I think that that was because my, my friend does a, it was part of a production with St. Luke's production of, of Therese and mm-hmm. she traveled all over the country doing the show. And I'm thinking that was one of her lines. It's kind of funny because now I always, when I think of Therese, I picture Therese looking exactly like this friend of mine who was, you know, doing the Therese show for several years. Yeah. So, um, yeah. And, and well, bo- yeah. both her parents are saints too. So. Oh, I know. It's so crazy. And they, they thought that their calling was to be a nun and they, that didn't work out. And so they were married and then, you know, they raised a doctor of the church, which not that many parents can say they did that. Right. I do like this one statement. It's not the most, um, it's not the most warm fuzzy statement, but it just kind of needs to be said so people can, can move forward from the article. And it's American Catholicism, both institutionally among the lady has downplayed or outright denied dissonance between the church and the world for at least the past few generations to the extent this was ever tenable. It certainly is no, is not any longer. Um, and what that's really saying when I hear that is you've got to be ready to be weird. You've just got to start <laughs> from day one, accepting that you're going to be weird. Right. And, and, and that's because the world is super crazy right now. If it was, you know, if it was a different time period, maybe you wouldn't have to be weird, but it's like start teaching yourself, and if you have children in your care, teach them to to accept being and feeling just weird. I, that's how I would take that. What do you think? Yeah, it there's such a thought that the world and the church are kind of one and the same because we look at everything through the lens of God holds everything in existence, so everything might must have to be the same. When it really isn't true, the part about God holding everything in existence is true, but the rest is, it it's very much not. So yeah, you have to be, you just have to be ready to embrace that. It, like, you don't have to march on the streets and be weird, but you have to at least be ready to, you have to be ready to acknowledge that things might get weird. Yeah, and... It's not you an know, excuse to be weird, It's but it is the idea that you have to embrace the weirdness if it comes. Right. And I think we're accustomed to the idea that, you know, if most people are doing something, you know, openly, proudly, then it's probably a good thing and it's okay. You know, you can kind of go along. And, and that's just really not something that you can, can rely on. Um, but, you know, I think at, at times that was sort of, a situ- you know, a situation where if you kind of just, you know, you had to sort of stand out to be bad. Mm-hmm. And, you know, now, I mean, there's just, I don't know. I mean, things have changed so much that the, you're not going to get an indicator that says, oh, I'm doing something outside of 
of the the norm of the culture, that's bad. Like you're not gonna you're not gonna get that when you're presented with the opportunity to do something bad. And so you have to, you know, I mean, you just have to kind of study the catechism, have a good spiritual director, listen to the Roman circus podcast. That's terrible. Cut that out. Um, nope, keeping it. Yeah, keeping it. Um, you know, I mean, you you kind of have to uh, remove yourself from the paradigm, but also remain in it. So, you know, study, learn, you know, be intentional about, about what you do and what you, what you watch on TV and what you listen, you know, think about all those things because the, the mainstream is not healthy. And, um, but you also can't just go off and form a commune. I mean, those have always been a disaster and it's tempting for people to want to do that, but it's not, there's actually no historical example of something like that truly working. All of the examples people point to where they go off and form their own thing, it happened organically. It wasn't, you know, we picked eight to 10 families and, you know, we had, you know, a committee draw up all these, I mean, it just happened. So you, you can't right. plan. And they've tried that. People have tried that in America, these Catholic communes. And it, I mean, it just doesn't, that, that it's not organic and it, stuff like that has to be organic. Right. Well, because a lot of times I haven't studied the, these communes, but you kind of just, things just kind of travel with you. Because there's no, it's not really an attempt to rebuke as much as it's just an attempt to escape, and those the day to day things just kind of follow you there instead of facing it head on. Really, that's what I think right. at least. And I, I just think it's prone to simulation. It's mm-hmm. like, well, I've already I've already set up this thing and moved out to this commune or whatever. I'm I better just go along with it. You know, I just I don't know. Um, I, you know, I just, I understand the temptation of wanting to escape just the, the rush of things and go somewhere where you can work and have family and family life and every, you know, people understand decency and propriety, but, but ultimately you can't form that with the committee. It, it just doesn't work. So yeah, that's the, that's the article. We'll kind of put, po- we'll post it on the show notes and we'll, Make it available. Yeah. We'll link to it. And say the name of the author again. Brandon McGinley. Brandon McGinley. So he did not pay us to do this, but but if if he wanted to, um, should we Brandon link him to our us. Patreon account? Yes, the non-existent. They're actually just going to have to snap cash me. So I accept cash through Snapchat. Only. I I um, saw a thing. This is a tangent off that. I saw a tweet from. And I've seen this actually more and more. It's someone gets a good tweet that gets passed around the internet, thousands of retweets, right? And you click uh-huh. on it, and immediately under it, it says, oh, wow, since you're here, go here. And then they have a link to their Patreon or their Snapcash account. Like, oh, since you've, while you're here that you like my tweet, do you want to send me some money? Well, that's value for value, I guess. I mean, that's... Um, I mean, I don't know. You got to hand it to those people. That's great. Um, I mean, I do. I, I've gone and you know, not for a f- one funny tweet, but you know, I've I've tossed a few bucks at a, a podcast before because I liked what they're doing, and I thought, well, probably you know, I value it, and you know, I don't have any form of um, like cable or streaming cable or anything like that. Mm-hmm. So I thought, well, you know, I I enjoy this more than the content I used to pay for, so I'll throw them a few bucks. Uh, so, the, but yeah, no, well, the commune you live in doesn't allow cable. Is that what you're saying? The commune yes, that you yeah, started? You're, you're, right. You're not allowed, um, cable because we, our commune has an exclusive deal with dish. And so everybody <laughs> has a dish because they are the official sponsor of our commune. Oh, that's good. All right, well, I'm looking, and we're kind of getting long here. We have more we can talk about, but like I said, I'll link the show in tweets and show notes. What do you say to a saint of the week, Zach? I, you know, I, there, like you said, we had some viewer questions and things that we talked about getting to, but you know, this article just just generates conversation. So we'll put that off till next time. Be sure to tune in and. Uh, yeah, let's hear who's our saint of the week. Saint of the week is 
Pope Saint Hyginus. Hyginus. H Y G I N U S. Pope from the year 137 to the year 140. So this is a this is an early on pope. Yeah. He was a Greek and he also had to confront the Gnostic heresy. Oh. That was a bad one. Yeah, so we this there ancient sources contain no information as to his having died as a martyr. At his death, he was buried on the Vatican Hill near the tomb of St. Peter, and his feast day is January 11th. Yeah, so the Gnostic heresy, this it kind of seems like this was what he was fighting a bunch of. He had one of the Gnostics confessing and kind of reforming his life, but then eventually fell back into the heresies and was expelled from the church. Curdo or Cerdo? A running theme here is me not being able to pronounce names, but whatever. The The one that he rebuked was a Syrian Gnostic who was deemed a heretic. Well, I mean, Gnosticism is, is like the heresy that never dies. You can We could talk about different in a future episode. We could talk about some interesting manifestations of Gnosticism in our mm-hmm. current you know, church environment, but... Um, well, good thing this Pope, uh, got to work getting rid of, telling him to get lost. This Pope also, (laughs) this Pope also decreed that all churches be consecrated. Huh? So that's a good, that's a good decree. It is a good decree. What, when, when is something decreed versus, you know, promulgated or like stated? Let's 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 find out sometime. We'll effort that for a future podcast. Hi, so so Pope Saint Hyginus? H Y G I N U S. Hyginus, Hyginus. If if you know, somebody set us straight. If there's any, I mean his name's in Greek, so someone who speaks Greek, let us know. Instead um, of Saint of the Week, the the what's it called? Segment should be called Matt tries to pronounce words. That's what that yeah. segment should be called. Oh, don't feel too bad. You you try, and you know, the viewers say that they appreciate. You know, often I I run into people all the time that recognize me from this podcast, and they they always say that you you do at least try. So. Oh, that's that's so great. That's so nice of them. And he'll, I'm sure he'll hear your prayers, even if you say his name wrong. But he probably won't won't listen. So. <laughs> He'll hear them, but good luck getting anything out of them. All right, Zach, good work this week. you have any final words for the people? Um, no, be nice to your accountants. Uh, I'm starting taxes soon, so we'll be busy. Thrilling. <laughs> <laughs> All right, until next week, thanks for listening. See you later, guys.